I'm Rachel Michelle Wilson, a children's book author and illustrator, and I'd rather sit at the kid table than anywhere else. Co-host Angela Fam Kranz and our lovely guest. He's a coffee drinker, middle school English teacher, and debut author of The Notebook Keeper, which recently won a Pura Belpre honor. He's got a great beard and three more picture books on the way. Please welcome my friend Stephen Brasenio. How we usually start is because it's the kid table, we like to start with kid things. So I'm curious about um, what was your kid table experience like when you were a kid? So I, my mom is one of nine kids. My grandma had like 32 grandkids. I'm one of three. And like, there was a ton of us, like big Mexican family. So there was always a kid table, no matter where we went. It's like, no matter what the function. Um, So it was always positive, lots of laughter, lots of people like cousins and stuff to play with and lots and lots of food so it was a wonderful experience okay that sounds delightful what was your favorite food that you would typically have that is a tough one but my grandma my mom learned everything from my grandma and my grandma was an incredible cook but I uh, remember specifically her menudo which is a Mexican soup made with it doesn't sound very appetizing but made with tripe like pig intestine uh, or cow intestine I don't remember what it is it's intestine and it's when you think about it it's not that good but it's like a Mexican comfort food and even as a little kid I've lo- always loved it but that was like what shaped our like my thinking as a kid is my grandmother's very Mexican cooking like from Mexico cooking it's kind of related but what was your favorite snack as a kid Oh, I loved like Pop-Tarts fresh from the box, like not heated up. There's cold pops. I think even as an adult, it's still one of my favorite snacks, but that was like kind of a go-to. There was always Pop-Tarts in our pantry. So that's what I think. It's not as sweet, sugary sweet, I feel like when it's cold. I think that's why I like it. But people think I'm crazy. They're like, why wouldn't you heat it? That's the whole point of a Pop-Tart. But now you have Steven who can back you up. You can validate each other. Or Pop-Tart buddies. Okay, so three words to describe your personality as a kid. Oh, quiet, shy, and painfully reserved. That's four words, but I was a super quiet kid, like painfully shy. Were books kind of a safe haven for you then? I know a lot of with shy people, like books kind of were a place for them to be. So what was your relationship with books like? So actually my first relationship was funny enough with writing. I was in kindergarten and my kindergarten teacher, I still remember her name, Mrs. Kinton. uh, She thought that I wasn't, (laughs) this is a weird conversation, that I wasn't developing as much as I should, like in terms like socially. And so she approached my parents saying like, hey, I think he should either stay back another year or send him to summer school my parents decided to send me to summer school and to this day I remember this it's one of my earliest memories Uh, Mrs. Kenton she like cut up a bunch of stuff from a magazine like pictures from magazines and she would tell us like pick one or two and we could tell a story from it and she would type it up on a typewriter old school typewriter 
and then like glue it down on this piece of paper. So I remember telling a story about a turtle running a race and watching her type it and hear the clicking sounds of it all. And that was one of the first moments of like the idea that the words that I say like have impact, like they can suddenly be on a page. They're no longer in my head. They're out there for other people to see. So that was actually my first real connection to books was actually writing above all. Stephen, when you said that, like what a great way to generate ideas, like flipping through magazines, cutting out just pictures and putting together, then figuring out you make a story out of this. Like how neat. Yeah, it's such a cool channel to explore your creative side. Do you still do that then? Uh, no, <laughs> I get the shit now. You're like taking notes from your child self. I'm always taking notes from my kid self, by the way. Like, I, I feel like part of adulthood is returning to the, I don't know, the freedom of how maybe we felt as a kid. I mean, I had a little bit of a difficult childhood, so I don't know if I'd call it like freedom, but the feeling internally of your inner child and that playfulness. How do you now hold on to that? You know, you grow up out of the kid table, metaphorically, you get older. How did you hold on to that creativity you had as a kid writing that turtle story? Yeah, I think I am blessed being a, a teacher. Like I've been teaching middle school most of my teaching career. This is my 16th year. And so to a degree that's kept me young, I have always been reading young adult, middle grade books. And then I have a nine-year-old. My wife is also a middle school English teacher. And so we're just a bunch of book nerds. And we, as soon as we found out that that my wife was pregnant with our daughter, like it, we began reading to her in the womb, like reading picture books. And so I think because of all of that, I've been able to keep that, like keep that string intact um, throughout my life. And it was my, my daughter like that actually inspired me to actually start writing picture books and for children. It's always been a dream of mine. And so I think because of my connection with my students and the connection with obviously with my daughter, um, that is what has helped me stay a kid at heart. I love it. So when you, so if we back up a little bit, when you were wanting to become a teacher, at that time, did you know that you wanted to be a writer too? I remember going, like, if we're going to go back to being kids, like, I remember reading stories and being shy and turning to stories and reading them and, and writing them. I remember, um, like, winning, like, some, like, award in, like, third or fourth grade for, like, a story that I wrote, like, within our, like, little elementary school, but my te my teacher thought it was great, and it was essentially like Indiana Jones fan fiction pretty much. And um, uh, and so I knew that like, oh, I, I've always loved stories. I've always loved movies in particular. And for a while I thought I would go into like, in high, especially in high school, I thought I would go into like film and movies and being a movie director. So I've always wanted to tell stories. And it the idea of having a book would be like, oh yeah, that'd be cool one day. Like it, but I had no idea how that happened at all. And so I just kind of pushed it off to the side. But it, yeah, it wasn't until my daughter was born and reading her picture books constantly, like on a daily basis for years, uh, it took, that's when it, the desire really sprung up. So why did you decide on 
books versus movies? I think oh, it's a lot easier. <laughs> like <laughs> to a degree, like again, in high school, like my friends and I, we would like old school, like Steven Spielberg style. Like we had like video recorders, like with tape and we would try to make our own like war movies and stuff. And I just remember like, like we did it like on a Saturday and we were probably like 15 years old and we're like, this is, this is taking us a long time. We've only done like four or five scenes and we have like 20 written and I don't think we ever finished it. So I think it was a few experiences like that, but then the idea that being a reader myself, I've always loved words and I I could craft my own story without like a set, without a, you know, like all the extra stuff. Like I could just create something with my words and we could see what happens. So there was a lot more freedom in that sense to create stories as opposed to just filming, which took, is not easy. It's very challenging. And five to 700 words. I think it's, I mean, as we all know, picture book, are not easy to craft but I think when compared to like writing a script or uh, getting the characters to do what you want them to do yeah there's a lot more elements at play yeah but I do know because I know you you do long form content do you still like I know you you were um wanting to do middle grade YA stuff as well do you also kind of in the back of your mind want to do a screenplay someday just to try it one of my novels and verses specifically about movies and movie making and so I'll there's several scenes throughout that are um like they look like scripts and I again I'm fascinated with it like I love studying movie scripts that work and like movies that collectively as a culture that we love and resonate with and I love looking at why do we why do we like them so much and how are they written and so it, it It'd be cool one day, but one manuscript at a time, I guess. Yeah, no, so many ideas in so little time. How does um, all that studying you do of movies, how does it impact your writing? Well, I think with movies, like you have to, you're constantly thinking about the audience in like, and the best movies are, in my opinion, I know we're not talking about movies entirely, but it's all connected, but the best movies are ones that that don't dumb down to the audience like they're the ones that like put trust in the audience to figure things out to like go on a journey and but at the same time they're also like trim and concise and they have to move so it's a combination of character development and plot movement and all of it at the same time respecting the audience and that's something that in picture books and in trying to write middle grade and such that I'm always thinking about is are those two th- I guess three things like am I respecting my reader um to, like am I not dumbing down things for them am I like being true to myself and true to them am I moving a plot forward and am I developing characters that are interesting and it's not it, it's not easy but it's something that through studying movies that that's what I've learned. No, have you guys seen like uh growing up my mom would watch these like Asian dramas um and they're like dubbed so they could be filmed you know, all over in other Asian countries and uh I just remember they're like and they used to be VHS tapes 
and they used to be like 25 tapes long. And it's, I remember, um, and each tape is like an hour. And then like, you know exactly what they're thinking. Cause like, you know, they do this like voice in the background of what the woman's thinking or what the guy's thinking. And it's interesting. Cause if you watch more, like uh, uh, maybe movies that are a little bit more Americanized in books today, I think um, the, the writer gives a lot of space um, for your audience to assume, to imply, to just space to think and kind of um, kind of move also the story in their head of what's going to happen versus where like a Korean drama or something. Sometimes I feel like they tell you everything of what everyone's thinking and there's no space for you to really participate as an audience in you know, like receiving that information and spinning back out your own thoughts. So I think that's it's funny when you were saying that it's the first thing I thought about was such a difference between movie making and also writing. Sometimes we think of writing as adding something, adding and adding and adding. But I feel like writing, like you said, leaves a lot of space, which requires you to take away. And so the idea of writing is taking away something. It's it's something that I've been thinking about more and more. Like you're almost destroying the story taking it away but then this getting to the heart of what the story actually is well i mean i think of it not that i'm a sculptor but i think of it as a sculptor like you could bring in a hunk of clay and say like it is what it is it's a hunk of clay and you know that's fine but the it doesn't become something until you subtract and you have to subtract skillfully and you may mess up and but that's part of the learning process and that's how i like at least hopefully on most days I try to view my manuscripts like ah, I've got this hunk of clay out there on my like in my notebook or in my Google Doc how am I gonna shave off here and there so that something more defined comes out and it takes patience it's it's just the only way you get better is you just got to write more and more and more and shave and shave and shave. What a perfect metaphor for <laughs> for revision and storytelling. Thanks for sharing that. In terms of studying craft and revising and kind of perfect, well, honing your craft, what are some tools and techniques that you use? I love using, obviously, published picture book, mentor text, and trying what I do fairly often if it's a book that I really love I will type it up, um, just the words, and I'll try to see, like, where would there be a illustration note? Like, where, like, how did these things move, like, within this story? And then I'll highlight certain, like, it could be a word, a phrase, a, a whole sentence that I think is really w well written, is beautiful in some way. And I'll look and see like how many things are italicized or bolded, whatever I decided to do. And then I'll study those words. Okay, like this is what they did in this sentence. How can I take that idea and apply it to my own writing? Or then I'll take my own story and with the same intensity as I did with the mentor text, I'll look at my own words. So, like where are those moments in my story that I would highlight if I was studying this? Like, do I have enough of that, like, like, uh, like craft within my story to make it interesting writing wise? 
And if I notice that I go several sentences without any sort of highlighted something, then I know, okay, I need to go back and add something here, maybe move something around. So that way it's not just a simple story just told line by line, but that it's woven throughout is some sort of craft, whether it's a simile, a metaphor, or just a perfectly chosen word or something. Um, I, that's, that's a practice that I've adopted for the last couple of years. Yeah, you can see the power of that in The Notebook Keeper. I love the lyrical language of this book, the story. Do you want to give people just a little bit of a summary for anyone here who hasn't read it? Yeah, yeah. The, the Notebook Keeper is the story of a girl named Noemi and her mother as they try to leave Mexico and cross specifically at the San Isidro border checkpoint in Tijuana. And when they are trying to cross, they are unable to, and instead they have to put their names in an unofficial ledger, and their name and number pretty much are calling out like like numbers at a deli counter until they are given um, a chance to cross. So it's about them experiencing the system, which was real for a long time, and um so it's a combination of fiction and non and nonfiction elements, but told through fiction um, and how all that, that she experiences and goes through as she meets the person in charge of the notebook and learning to adjust to this new life um, until she can cross. What inspired you to make this book? So I'd been in the query trenches for a long time and was just writing stories and learning and figuring things out. And I was driving home from a, my uncle's funeral. I was alone, and it was a long drive between Dublin, Texas, to San Antonio. And it was processing grief and stuff, and I just was kind of tired of being alone with my thoughts. So I literally opened up my podcast app, opened This American Life, and just flicked my, my finger across my screen and just whichever one it like landed on, I press play. And the episode that I played was is titled "Let Me Count the Ways." If you're interested, um, let me count the ways on this American life. And the first story is about the Notebook Keeper. Like they had it gone down, they somehow heard about this system, and they interviewed the person. The segments like maybe eight or nine minutes, but when I was done, I was like, I cannot believe this is happening. This is insane and so i listened to it several times on that drive and in the meantime i was still trying to write stories and you know some success some not and just learning along the way but this story wouldn't leave me alone and my wife encouraged me like i think you should turn this into a picture book but it was such an adult talk it's such a heavy political like it's just not a like it's not something that you easily turn in for kids. And so it took me a long time and, but eventually I, I figured it out and um, it took lots of revision, lots of honing, but um, I knew that the, the way I felt hearing the story, like I wanted others to feel the same sense of urgency that this is what people are experiencing, like not too far from us. And it's, it's awful. People need to know about it. And being Mexican-American myself and my grandfather came from Mexico um, many years ago. But just that idea that 
I have a connection and I don't want this just to be buried among the news. Like I want people to know about it and who better to tell than, than children to hopefully it will instill in their hearts and they'll grow up and help yeah. change the world. That's beautiful. I feel like books are conversation starters and what a big conversation around your book. And so I'm curious what that's been like as people have talked to you about not only your book itself, but like what's, you know, you, you've been asked to speak on everything around that too. What has that been like for you? Uh, I mean, kind of surreal because while I, I've done my research, like I'm not an, I'm not an expert, but like at the, at the same time is like, even someone like me can make an impact. Like, again, I'm just a, an English teacher. It's just been a very surreal experience to talk to kids, to talk to adults that have connected with my story. Um, my wife and I, we teach teachers like how to teach writing in the classroom. And she's used my book several times as like a teaching tool. And just, she said like, she'll say like, teachers will, will cry in response and just that idea alone is it's weird like I, it's awesome that they are are but it's just weird like just there's a lot of emotions that i've experienced but overall it's just been humbling in the best way possible that 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 to any small degree that my words and this story is having an impact it's just humbling and i'm so thrilled that it's out there touching lives well me too <laughs> i am too well because you are impacting people with your words. You're broadening knowledge, right? You're bringing something that happened, but there's still lots of, you know, topics around immigration and, and refugees. Um, still lots of global things going on, but taking a subject, um, distilling it in a way that teaches and broaden a child's knowledge and even an adult's knowledge when they read the book to their child of something that they're just totally unaware of. So I think that's really neat because throughout the story, even though it's a difficult topic, what I got away what, after I finished your book, it was so much about love and compassion and hopefulness. Um, yeah, you know, they're scared, but when you finish the book, you're left with feelings that are more positive, like a brighter future. Um, so it's really neat. I think that's really tough to do on a tough subject a tough subject. I feel like hope really does empower people. And like you said, you felt empowered to tell this story. And then you're seeing other people feel empowered through your story. And hopefully other people will be empowered to tell their own stories too. And I imagine they will based off the power of your story, which one, <laughs> another segue, <laughs> <laughs> the Poro Belpre honor, which is incredible. This is your debut book. It won a huge award. I'm curious what that was like for you. Tell us a little bit about the moment and also just how it's impacted you. It again is, it has all felt humbling and surreal to, especially to have received that honor. Um, so I got the call on a Sunday and I'm sure like y'all, I get a lot of spam calls. And so I just <laughs> saw this number from California and just ignored it. And didn't think anything of it. I think I was like the voicemail school. Yeah, like I was cooking dinner or something. Yeah. And I just ignored it and just kept going. And then um about like 20, 30 minutes later, the person texted me and they were from the Puerto Belpre committee. 
and they're like, hi, I, this is so-and-so um, from ALA. You probably want to call me back. And at the second I saw it, like I, it, my, my brain instantly went there. I was like, oh, okay, this is, this is happening. I think, I don't know why they would be texting me on a Sunday night. And I know that the awards are tomorrow. And, you know, I called back immediately and just hearing that the news, it was just surreal. And since then, it's just seeing the book with the, the sticker. Oh, well, and the next day, the award ceremony, um, I knew it was happening. I didn't want to miss it. And it was right in the middle of my class. And so my students know that I'm an author. And I turned, I put it on like our big screen and project, like once it finally came up and my whole class was erupting and cheering and it was, it was really surreal. It was, it was great. So it's just been, it's nuts. It's wonderful. It's, yeah, but at the same time, it's like, okay, and we keep going. And it's as amazing as it is, and I'm thankful and incredibly blessed and honored. It's like, okay, let's keep going with the next story, and let's keep trucking and moving on, and yeah. <laughs> Have you felt any pressure? Or are you good at, like, kind of leaving the pressure behind? <laughs> no, I thought, I, like, it's been the idea, so now it's, there's just this voice in the back of my, my inner editor, my inner you know critique partner is like, okay, now this next story it better be good because you got you got stuff to, yeah. And so now that's kind of always in the back of my mind. But again, I'm like, okay, I gotta tell this story. I gotta tell it as well as I can. I'm thankful for the award, but we've got to move on. So it's yeah, it's but it's it's still hard. Like when I start writing, it's tough. <laughs> Yeah, new writing challenge. But I know knowing you, you will you will find ways like reminding yourself like that and other ways to keep that freedom and playfulness in your creativity, less pressure. Yeah, no, this is just a perfect segue into your second book, which I think is coming out this year, right, Stephen? I think Queen of Leaves. Yes, Queen of Leaves comes out in September. Yeah, can you tell us a little about that? And I think, is it more nonfiction? Yes, it's a picture book biography um, about uh, Mexican-American botanist Inez Mejia. And uh, so it tells her um, two stories at the same time. It's her, her life um, growing up in, in the United States and in Mexico and how she discovered um, a love of, of botany um, when she was in her 50s. And she went to, to um, uh, UC Berkeley to study and, and way ahead of her time. Like it was in the 1920s when she decided to study and very, a very non-traditional student. And it took her all over the world. And she became one of the top like botanists to collect samples for universities, for museums, for research labs all over the world. And she got herself in all sorts of adventures, like all the way, like from her 50s and 60s and beyond. And um, and then at the same time, it also tells the story of the wax palm tree, which is the world's tallest palm tree that she she didn't discover it necessarily, but she helped bring it into prominence. And it only grows in like Colombia and like some certain like Central and South American countries but like way up in the mountains where a, a palm tree shouldn't. And they're like 200 plus feet high, they're massive. And she had heard about it and she's like, I wanna find one. 
and she did everything she could to find it. And so it's it's two stories happening at the same time. You're learning about her life, and then at the same time, you're learning about the wax palm tree, and eventually the two stories collide. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a neat story structure. What inspired you to write this story? Well, I mean, there's a couple things. So I had... I don't, I think she was like on a Google doodle, like, you know, like when you go to Google sometimes and I was like, whoa, she sounds neat. And then I just started researching her. And the more that I read about her, um, well, A, first I checked to see if there were any picture books about her, like, and, yeah. and there wasn't. And I'm like, why not? This lady was in like an Indian, a female Indiana Jones way ahead of her time doing all sorts of crazy adventures and influencing science, like in the 20s, 30s, like we need to know about her. And so, but then also like there's this other side of just being Mexican American. And I mean, we understand like in publishing, like that's, there's, there needs to be more diversity. I, growing up, I didn't read any books that had a Mexican protagonist, yeah. any movie. We were always painted as like the gangbangers or the, the immigrant. Um, or look at the joke. And so that's always been all of my books in some way. That's my focus is how can I write this from a Mexican-American perspective um, all the time, no matter what my story is. And so um, that was the underlying reason of like, I want more kids and adults to know uh, about this Mexican-American that greatly influenced science. Like, what a great way to describe this wonderful woman. I can't wait to read this book. So thanks for telling us about it. I can't wait for y'all to read it either. <laughs> thanks for sitting with us today, Stephen. I hope you all go out and buy his book, The Notebook Keeper, from your local independent bookstore. And while you're at it, don't forget to pre-order Queen of Leaves. Thanks, Whiskey Geraldine, for our music. Check her out on SoundCloud. And author Joanna Rowland for sponsoring this episode. Find her book, Big Bear Was Not the Same, at bookshop.org. If you would like to sponsor an episode, simply sign up as a paid subscriber of our At the Kid Table newsletter on Substack. If you like this episode, I hope you share it with a friend. There's always more room at the kid table. 